Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Warning The Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. All right, Savage Nation listeners, I rarely sell you something of my own. I'm glad we have advertisers, I'm glad that you buy the products, but listen to me. Like everyone else, I need your support. And if you want this podcast to continue, and if you want me to continue, you must listen to me now. I want you to go to me on Twitter at A Savage Nation, Instagram, The Real Savage Nation, Facebook, Dr. Michael Savage. Or if you truly want to be part of the Savage Nation, you can join the Savage Nation exclusive club where you can get the savage nation podcast free of ads plus the most requested historical savage shows and pieces crazy callers from the past great monologues poems stories all for less than the cost of one drink from your local bar and please join us on all of our social media accounts for some reason something happened i've gained three hundred thousand followers on twitter this week something is going on Either America is moving to reality or the idiots who run Twitter, Facebook and Instagram have decided they can no longer block me. Facebook, Dr. Michael Savage, Twitter at a Savage Nation, Instagram, the real Savage Nation. Or you can support and visit our sponsors right on a new feature on michaelsavage.com, which I need you to do, by the way. You want this show to go on in the next year? Then you have to do something about it. Nothing is free. Remember, support the Savage Nation. Tell your friends there's no such thing as a free lunch. Welcome to the Savage Nation podcast. Today we're going to talk about ivermectin. You probably heard about it. Again, I want to say right from the beginning, I am not a treating physician. I'm not a physician. I'm not giving you medical advice. However, this has taken the nation by storm. And of course, it's being rejected by Dr. Flouchy. And the um, FDA and the NEH, they're all saying don't use ivermectin. And yet I hear from really reputable physicians and scientists, a few of whom you will hear about today on today's podcast, that this is an amazing drug, very safe, and it should be used. Again, I'm going to give you some information. We're going to interview some doctors. And you make up your own decision, again, in consultation with a doctor who knows what the hell he's talking about who's not afraid to step outside the boundaries of Dr. Fauci's edicts. Now, what is ivermectin? Well, what it is, it's a well-known FDA-approved anti-parasite drug that's been used for more than 40 years to treat river blindness and other parasitic diseases. You've been hearing it's been used for horses. It is one of the safest drugs that is known. It is on the WHO list of essential medicines. Has it been used before? Well, it's been given 3.7 billion times around the world. 
And the drug itself, ivermectin, has won the Nobel Prize for its historic and global impacts in eradicating endemic parasitic infections around the world. This paper that I will read to you comes from a group called the FLCC Physicians. They're amazing doctors and scientists, and they are totally committed to the published medical evidence about ivermectin. They say it demonstrates unique and highly potent ability to inhibit SARS-CoV-2, to inhibit its replication, to suppress inflammation. And they have been using ivermectin for prevention and treatment in all stages of COVID-19. They claim, and we all know that it's not been approved by the FDA for the treatment of COVID-19. But On January 14th of 2021, the National Institutes of Health changed their recommendation for the use of ivermectin and COVID-19 from, quote, against to neutral. There's a lot more to be said about this. This group of physicians, the FLCC physicians, in March of 2020, created a life-saving math plus hospital treatment protocol for COVID-19, which they recommend for hospitalized patients. In October of 2020, they developed the iMask Plus prophylaxis and early outpatient treatment protocol for COVID-19, which they claim is designed for use as a prophylaxis, that's to prevent, and in early outpatient treatment for those who test positive for COVID-19. All of the component medicines in this protocol are FDA-approved, inexpensive, readily available, and have been used for decades with well-established safety profiles, according to them. The reason you are being told don't use ivermectin, it's for horses and this and that, is because it is inexpensive, readily available, and you don't have to go through Dr. Flouchy, etc. So today we'll talk a little bit more about ivermectin. We'll uh, refer you to some scientific studies that you can study on your own. If you want to read more, there's a group called the FLCCC Physicians, who I highly recommend you look into, and FLC with three C's, FLCCC Alliance. There's a lot of information there. Dr. Paul Marek, MD, Dr. Pierre Corey, MD, Flavio Cartagiani, MD, Joseph Varone, MD, Jose Iglesias, DO, and there are many, many others who are phenomenally important doctors and scientists who you can read about if you want to look into who these folks are, because they are on the front line of treating COVID-19 and preventing and treating COVID-19 with ivermectin and other supplements. So we can talk a little bit more about it if you would like right now, and then we'll have our interview and then we'll talk a little bit more about it. But the fact of the matter is there's an awful lot that I can tell you right off their own website to save you the steps of having to go through reading about it on your own. So what would you like to know? Well, what you'd like to know is does it work or not, right? That's the number one thing is you want to know, does it work or doesn't it work, right? Well, again, I'm not a treating physician. I'm not a physician. I'm a scientist by training. I'm a nutritionist by training. And I will tell you this. There are studies. There are protocols. And there are people who are using ivermectin and, frankly, other medications that are known as supplements. I'm going to talk about them as well today. There's an Oxford budesonide trial. Oxford budesonide trial, which is used with an inhaler. And what is in this study? Well, if you get it, 
It's inhaled budenicide in the treatment of early COVID-19. And they are posting a phase two open label randomized controlled trial. Again, that's a steroid. It's uh, being used with a nebulizer taken several times a day for people who develop a cough with COVID-19. And it's a useful way to get steroids into the system. And why are they using steroids? Because they do not want people to develop an inflammatory situation that can't be controlled. It's that simple. So again, you can ask your doctor about this. And you don't have to use everything on the list that I'm going to tell you about. But the fact of the matter is there are doctors who are using everything on this list. There's another study I want to refer you to, which is a recent paper called Ivermectin for Prevention and Treatment of COVID-19 Infection, a systemic review, meta-analysis and trial, sequential analysis to inform clinical guidelines, which was published on June 17th, 2021, by the American Journal of Therapeutics. And here is their conclusion. Quote, moderate certainty evidence finds that large reductions in COVID-19 deaths are possible using ivermectin. Using ivermectin early in the clinical course may reduce numbers progressing to severe disease. The apparent safety and low cost suggest that ivermectin is likely to have a significant impact on the sars cov to pandemic globally, unquote. This group of physicians asks you to review their guide, and it shows you how to find doctors who prescribe ivermectin, as well as information to share with your primary care physician in the event that he or she is not aware of the current, current evidence detailing how safe and effective ivermectin is in preventing and treating all stages of COVID-19 and all variants of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. So again, ivermectin has been used for more than 40 years to treat river blindness and other parasitic diseases. It is one of the safest drugs known. It's on the WHO list of essential medicine. It's been given 3.7 billion times around the world. The drug itself has won the Nobel Prize because of its global and historic impacts in eradicating endemic parasitic infections in many parts of the world. When we speak to our guests today, who have actually treated and do treat patients with it, you will understand why they are using this unapproved drug, unapproved for human beings for treating COVID-19. As you well know, there's a big push in the government for vaccines and government-approved drugs. You know how much I trust the government, especially under Biden. The fact of the matter is, they say that uh, ivermectin has a unique and highly potent capacity to inhibit SARS-CoV-2 replication to prevent the virus from growing, in other words, replicating itself, and to suppress inflammation, which is very, very important, because as we all know by now, the inflammatory response can lead to, to death. And so they are using ivermectin to prevent and treat COVID-19 in all stages. Again, I will repeat, it is not yet FDA approved for the treatment of COVID-19, but on January 14, 2021, the NIH changed their recommendation for the use of ivermectin in COVID-19 from against it to neutral. Okay. If you want to learn more, I will give you more references as this program emerges today on the Savage Nation. Again, I want you to discuss this with your doctor. I want you to discuss it with your primary care physician. I want you to find doctors who prescribe ivermectin and learn as much as you can about this and then you have to ask yourself one question. If it's so inexpensive, 
and these great doctors and scientists say it works. Why is Dr. Flauchy not saying anything about it? I'll let you make your own, draw your own conclusions about Dr. Flauchy, a hack who's been in the government for over 40 years, a pill pusher, a vaccine pusher, a mook and a bum. This man was around in the age of the AIDS epidemic. I watched this snake at that time. I didn't like him then and I dislike him more now. Okay, the smiling Dr. Flauchy is not on your side, in my opinion. This is Michael Savage. We're talking about ivermectin today on the Michael Savage podcast. I'll be right back with more. I know you're not going to go away because there's a lot more to talk about. Michael Savage, a host like no other. Have you become a victim of the timeshare trap? You think there's no way out? Well... Chuck McDowell, founder of Wesley Financial Group, has helped over 35,000 families out of financial hardship by getting them out of bad timeshares, and they may be able to help you too. Listen, if your timeshare agreement goes on forever, if you were told timeshares are a great investment or your maintenance fees will never go up, you, know, you need to get the facts about timeshare cancellation. For over 10 years, Wesley Financial Group has been dedicated to helping folks get out of a lifetime of debt by canceling their timeshares. So they created a free timeshare exit information kit that reveals how the timeshare industry works and your options for cancellation. To get your free timeshare exit information kit, simply go to iCancelTimeshare.com. That's iCancelTimeshare.com. I'll say it one more time, iCancelTimeshare.com. Thank you very much. I cancel timeshare.com. Welcome back to the Savage Nation podcast. I want to read to you some emails I received from a family friend who's been a wonderful, wonderful physician for 50 years. She's one of the finest doctors in the world. She's never done it for the money. She is a Catholic doctor who has devoted her time all around the world for no money. And one of her missions is to make Catholic healthcare available to everyone. She's a wonderful person. I'm not gonna give you her name. She prefers to remain anonymous, but she sent me an email recently that goes like this. Dear friends, and she says, I wanna share with you some things I've learned in the last month, and it's how the pandemic has emerged and the treatments have emerged with the Delta variant where COVID cases, she says, have become more difficult to treat and have broken through previous protocols. She then says the FLCCC changed its recommendations three times between August 1 and September 1. So the Delta variant is much different, very tricky, and has changed the protocol even amongst these doctors. And I'll give you a summary in a minute from her dear friends email. But listen what she says at the end. She says, dear friends, I was blessed to attend the AAPS, the American Association of Physicians and Surgeons meeting. Great talks by McCullough and Urso. Listen to this now, folks. Also, a surprise guest, Li Meng Cheng, former Wuhan scientist and physician who escaped from China in 2020 and confirmed that the virus we are fighting is man-made. Now, that's a story for another time. The virus was made in a biowarfare laboratory. It escaped from the laboratory, as I suspected right from the beginning. And, of course, it was Dr. Fauci and his group that gave them millions of dollars 
to work on the virus to enhance its potency. I mean, this is an amazing story unto itself for another podcast. But from this doctor, this fine doctor who wishes to remain anonymous because of this onerous government we have now under uh, Biden, she talks about things that have changed in the treatment, the protocol. If you're a doctor, you'll understand what I'm saying. And she says, with the Delta variant, COVID cases have become more difficult to treat and have broken through previous protocols. And so she's including the FLCCC and McCullough articles, eighth day protocol, how to deal with COVID after the fever is gone. And she said, this is great for cutting prolonged symptoms and patients who regress or stop treatment too early, combating inflammation with steroids, antihistamines, and anti-leukotrienese. You know about the leukotrienes, right? She then refers to Carter Gary from Brazil, a good study that includes azithromycin, which is an antibacterial, which it turns out also has antiviral effects. Ivermectin, nitzozanide, now $900 to $3,000 here, and hydroxychloroquine plus antiandrogens due to steroid and spironolactone. I don't know all these drugs. She says, in treatment group, no hospitalizations, ventilators, deaths, compared to control group and markedly fewer prolonged mental and physical post-COVID symptoms. And then there's other references in this dear friend's letter. And I'll tell you more about this as we discuss not only ivermectin, but related nutraceuticals in both preventing and what is being used by these physicians in treating COVID-19, especially the Delta variant. Again, I want to refer you to your own doctor your own treatment doctor. I am not giving you any medical advice whatsoever. I am not telling you to treat yourself under any circumstance, but I'm giving you and sharing with you the latest information that I have so that perhaps we can all work together for the betterment of humanity and the control of this demonic illness that is man-made, that was man-made in Wuhan in the biowarfare laboratory. I'm Michael Savage, back in a minute. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. Welcome back to the Michael Savage Podcast. I'm now going to play for you an incredible interview that I did with Dr. Kelly Victory, MD. She's a board-certified trauma and emergency specialist with over 15 years of clinical experience. She knows what she's talking about. She holds a BS from Duke University and her MD from the University of North Carolina. She's an expert in this field. She's a member of the National Preparedness Leadership Initiative, et cetera. She knows a lot about public health, but we're going to talk about not Homeland Security, uh, not about disaster preparedness, but we're going to talk about ivermectin, which she has used in her practice for a very long time. She's also going to talk with us today about the new drug announced by Merck and Pfizer today, the new pill that's supposed to prevent and treat uh, COVID-19. It's called monoperavir, and she knows an awful lot about that. It's a very interesting story. I'm sure you're going to love this interview, which we're about to play now on the Michael Savage podcast. Again, I ask you to share today's podcast and all the others with at least one friend to spread the word. Thank you for listening. Now listen. Well, you have a great name to begin with. (laughs) Anyone whose name Victory has won in advance. There you go. Very, Thank you, Doctor Victory. You're a very brave person. I have two doctor friends 
who treat hundreds of patients with alternative medicine. They won't. They're afraid to go on the air. Yeah, well, you know, it's really tragic, and, and I'm happy to talk about this on air. It's tragic, and it's wrong. It's scary. It fi- flies afoul of everything we hold dear in this country, uh, and it's really the reason why I agreed um, to serve as the the, the lead co-plaintiff with uh, President Trump in his case against big tech, because huh. the the amount of censorship has just been egregious. Um, it's terrifying. I've had claims against my medical uh, license in multiple states. Uh, I've been absolutely just uh, decimated on social media. People print ridiculous things about you. Uh, you know, the, the amount of libel and slander is remarkable, and you really well, have they no. They can recourse. say anything they want. It's frightening. Exactly. Correct. You know, when, when they do it, when they do it to me, what I say to them is, please post your education level and your publications. And usually they will go away. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, you know, they can put anything out there and they do it under the shroud of anonymity that's provided by social media. I don't believe uh, we should be. Uh, that's a great question. I personally don't think we should be allowed to be anonymous on social media. That would end most of the trolls. Oh, I agree. I agree. I mean, everybody knows who I am. I'm Dr. Kelly Victory. It's very easy to find me. And they do. They find me. They find my phone number, my home address. I've been oh doxxed. Uh, they, they know. Uh, and you're, you know, you've got somebody named, you know, Gypsy Skittle State who, you know, or, or <laughs> some other, you know, posting ridiculous things about you. And then unfortunately what happens is it becomes de facto proof. Once it gets published or once you get, uh, for example, shut down by YouTube or, you know, a post gets taken off Twitter or you're put in Twitter, uh, penalty box, then that becomes de facto proof that you are in fact whatever it is they said, a quack, a, you know, a hack, a QAnon member, tinfoil hat wearer, because they say, see, her, her video was taken down from Twitter because she breached their, their community. Yeah, taken standards. down by somebody with, a, with an educational level of probably a, the 12th grade of that living in Pakistan. Correct. Correct. So some nameless, faceless, quote, fact checker uh, who works for Jack Dorsey. It's really frightening. Um, and and it, it isn't just a uh, really a breach of Dr. Kelly Victory's First Amendment right. It's it's really uh, an affront to all Americans' right to hear all sides. Oh, it's of, awful. Of this. It's awful. You know, it's, I've, it's, I've, it's everything we feared. Those of us who were yeah. libertarians our whole lives. You know, I was a social worker when I was young out of college, blah, blah, blah. So I grew up on the left side of things. That's how I was raised. And we thought that that meant freedom, freedom of speech, yeah. freedom of assembly, freedom of choice. It didn't mean that. Well, it did mean that. And now it doesn't mean that. And now what it means is what the government wants it to mean. So how many patients roughly, Dr. Victory, have you treated for COVID-19? Roughly. Personally, I've probably treated 150, somewhere between 150 and 200 patients. Amazing. And, you know, we're going to talk about ivermectin because you know more about it than most anybody out there. And you're very kind and very brave to be on the air. But what's in the news today is the new Merck oral COVID-19 drug. <laughs> I see you're smiling. You oh, tell- I know. oh, I could tell you. Oh, I could tell you um, all about this. Malnupiravir. 
which is Merck's new drug um, that they are launching for the treatment of COVID. Uh, interestingly, it is not, in fact, a brand new drug. Merck mm. discovered this drug back in 2014. And guess what they were looking for? The reason they developed that drug back in 2014 as a treatment of, wait for it, equine encephalitis. It was developed to treat a horse Isn't disease. Isn't that something? The very, very thing they're mocking people for using ivermectin for. Exactly. And Merck developed ivermectin. Um, back, It was discovered back in 1975 by a Japanese investigator and a scientist from Merck here in the United States. They were developing that drug back in the late 70s and early 80s to treat primarily parasitic diseases in animals. Uh, it was subsequently went through significant trials uh, to treat the same sorts of illnesses, parasitic diseases primarily in humans, and was uh, fully FDA approved for use in humans back in 1996. Ivermectin is one of the most widely prescribed drugs. But why the- does an anti-parasitic drug used for river blindness work on a virus? How do, what does it do? Does it decouple the virus? I mean, or no, actually, it's, it's it's a great question, but many, many drugs have multiple uh, courses of action. And there's no question that ivermectin has antiviral properties by itself. Uh, it really has shown very good and, as an antiviral, even though it was developed as an antiparasitic drug to treat things like lice and scabies and intestinal parasites. And as you pointed out, river blindness, which is a parasite. It also has shown, and they've known this for decades, significant antiviral properties. It kills viruses, particularly RNA viruses like COVID-19, like coronaviruses. So it, and then on top of that, uh, ivermectin has some significant anti-inflammatory uh, aspects to it. It has an anti-inflammatory effect, much like uh, steroids do or ibuprofen that we use to treat inflammation. So it has multiple courses of action, but we've known for decades that it has some impact on RNA viruses. So it wasn't a big leap for physicians to say, hey, this is an RNA virus. We've got this super safe, um, very inexpensive, readily available drug in ivermectin. Let's try it. And so this has been the mainstay what is of Dr. Victor, for the average person listening and their intelligent listeners, what is the difference between a an RNA virus and what is the other type of virus that we're talking about? Well, generally DNA viruses. It's really just a difference in the type of genetic uh, coding that that the uh, virus has within itself and that it uses to replicate itself within when it invades human cells. Uh, viruses, unlike bacteria, need to become intracellular. They invade a human cell by themselves. They can't replicate. They need to take over the machinery and the manufacturing capabilities of your own cells. So they're, pi- they're parasites. So that's why antiparasitic drugs like ivermectin work. Well, right. there's a, they are, they aren't technically parasites in the scientific sense of that word, but they act as if parasites. They cannot, you are right, act on their own. They aren't, in fact, viruses are not, in fact, alive. They, we, we refer to them in layman's terms as being alive or killing a, a virus, but in reality, viruses are not alive. They live off of, uh, the internal mechanisms of your own cells. But I, get back to ivermectin for a second. We've known 
uh, for a long time that it had some antiviral properties and anti-inflammatory properties. And so it was reasonable to to use this into employers or to try it, certainly, when it came to this novel coronavirus that was wreaking such havoc. Um, so I find it somewhat amusing or ironic that Merck, who was the original uh, inventor of ivermectin uh, and made a lot of money off of ivermectin until it became generic and there was no money left to be made on it. As I said, it's used by hundreds of millions of people around the globe every year. It's been on the list of the World Health Organization's essential medications for decades. It's that important. It's over the counter in many, many countries has uh, essentially zero significant adverse side effects, um, but no one stands to make any money on it now. So uh, Merck is now developing this new drug, malnupiravir, which again, as I said, began its its life uh, or its history in the equine world. Again, it was a horse uh, medication that has now been uh, being developed, and they are hoping to get FDA approval for it uh, to be used to treat COVID in humans. Um, and so we have, I, I we, have a, we have a lot to learn from our equine friends. And how does it work on COVID? How does ivermectin work? Do we know the me- mechanism of action? Well, I think it's it's twofold. I think it's because of those very strong antiviral properties by themselves, particularly on the RNA virus, which is what COVID-19 is, and uh, in part because of its anti-inflammatory effect. Um, most of the cocktails that we have developed um, for COVID-19 uh, don't just use one drug. So ivermectin by itself uh, it isn't being deployed. People like myself and others who are treating patients up front, early treatment for COVID-19 are using a group of medications, including ivermectin, sometimes hydroxychloroquine, um, always with zinc and vitamin D, generally with some component of steroids, either oral or inhaled. Um, but it really is a cocktail of medications. Uh, and if the website earlycovidcare.org lays that all out. We have really uh, documented not only the protocols that have been wildly successful during this pandemic at earlycovidcare.org, but there are also other resources there, including a huge compendium of research um, that we've put together. Uh, There are testimonials from people, patients uh, themselves and from doctors who have treated them. Earlycovidcare.org? Dot org. Exactly. And it's a group of people who have been really on the front line of of this pandemic, not just myself, but people like uh, Dr. Peter McCullough and Dr. Harvey Reich, uh, Brian Tyson. Are they part of the um, FLCCC group? Some of them are and some of them are not. Um, I am not a, um, a a member specifically of that group, although we work very, very closely together. The doctors who have been on the front line of this and who, like myself, have suffered the slings and arrows uh, for the duration because <laughs> we've been willing to actually speak out um, about about this uh, this pandemic response. And I don't think to you know, I can't speak for everybody else, but I can tell you from working with them literally on a daily basis for these past um, 20 months. I don't think there's a one of them that are, quote, anti-vaccine. None of us are anti-vaxxers or, or virus deniers. However, we all are respectful of the incredible complexity of uh, creating a vaccine that's both safe and effective 
there's a, a reason that vaccines on average take four to six years to come mm-hmm. to market if they ever come to market at all. And, you know, there are a heck of a lot of viruses that have been around longer than COVID-19 for which scientists have never created a safe and effective vaccine. Things mm. like HIV, herpes, Coxsackie virus, norovirus. So th- those of us who are promoting the concept of early treatment are saying, look, the one thing that we know that works for this virus is this group of safe, effective, readily available, inexpensive, by the way, medications like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and steroids and zinc and vitamin D. Why are we not utilizing those things while we work on determining whether or not these vaccines are actually safe and effective? We know that ivermectin works. We um, we know it's effective as much anecdotal, there's scientific, there's double-blinded studies. What are some of the side effects, if any, uh, of ivermectin per se? Ivermectin is one of the safest drugs, one of the ones most free of possible side effects of any that I know. Used in, in standard therapeutic doses, the side effects are almost zero. Mm. Uh, some There are some very uncommon side effects, primarily skin rashes, itching, uh, some people develop fever. There's no question that in high, in toxic doses, if people are taking too much of it, then ah. they can have neurologic symptoms. And so one of the concerns okay. that I think is a legitimate concern about ivermectin, and I have been very outspoken about it, that although ivermectin comes in a veterinary form, even though it is used for animals, I never recommend that people obtain the veterinary formulation for a couple of reasons. Number one, although the drug itself, the chemical compound ivermectin is identical, whether you get it for a horse or you get it for a human being, the adjuvants, the additional, the quote, inactive ingredients that are added in order to give that medication, say, to a horse or to a dog are different. And those inactive ingredients aren't always safe for humans, for one thing. Secondly, it's very difficult to get the right dosage when you're buying a tube of paste meant to be given to a 1,500-pound horse. (laughs) It's hard to necessarily be able to determine how much should a 120-pound woman get from that tube of paste. And therefore, I never recommend that people use, you know, go to their local farm and feed to avail themselves of a drug um, thinking this will be the same thing. As I said, the chemical compound ivermectin is identical, but there are other things that might be mixed in that are not safe for humans, and so, getting the dosing right so is, is going to be difficult. If people want to use it, they should make sure they, they're getting it through a physician who's who's in sync with using it for human use. I mean, I know it's been given 3.7 billion times around the globe. It's even won a Nobel Prize for its global and historic impacts in eradicating endemic parasitic infection so it's not an unknown drug uh i read a study out of pakistan where they were using 12 milligrams once a week to treat people what is your knowledge of this area without recommending dosages on on podcasts yeah it's actually I, I know quite a bit about it um like hydroxychloroquine ivermectin can be used both to treat covid and as prophylaxis okay. when you're giving it on this once a week basis generally you're using it in that case as a prophylaxis rather than a treatment 
when we've been treating people successfully for COVID who actively are ill with it, with ivermectin, we give it every day, generally for three to five days. Uh, and the dosage, we have upped the dosages somewhat because it seems to have better impact at slightly higher dosages, but still well within um, the standard normal therapeutic range for human beings. And it's been extraordinarily safe. I don't know a physician that I work with and, or myself who's had any patient who's had an adverse event from taking the ivermectin. Um, as I said, it's been, it's such a safe drug. And you point out the number of times it's used on an annual basis around the globe. And also, it's worth saying that many, many medications are prescribed for things other than the original mm. uh, disease or condition for which they were developed. Such as of, aspirin, for example, oh, common yeah. aspirin. Yeah, 30% of the prescriptions written are written for this. We have anti-seizure medications that are used for chronic pain. We have chemotherapy agents that we end up using for arthritis. Uh, mm pressure medications that are used for migraine headache. I can go on and on and on. Upwards of 30% of prescriptions written are written for what the mainstream media would lead you to believe is this, you know, sort of uh, out there on the fringe, off-label, quote-unquote, use. And that's really done a disservice, I think, to the discussion about ivermectin because there's a lot, there's real uh, misunderstanding about what, quote, FDA approval means when it comes to a drug. When the FDA approves a drug for use in humans, all it is saying is that we have done the extensive studies and have come to the conclusion that this drug is safe. That's it. Safe for use in humans. Has nothing to do with for what disease, for what illness, for what infection. Just it's safe. After that, the FDA goes on to, quote, approve the drug for certain indications, meaning what are the diseases, what are the conditions? That portion, that second portion, the indications, only impacts how the drug manufacturer can market the drug. Nothing to do with how I, as a doctor, can write the prescription, okay? So the, the company that makes, you know, gabapentin can only market it for seizures, but the FDA has determined it's safe in humans, so I can use it to treat a patient with chronic pain, mm. okay, because the drug is safe. Your body doesn't know if you're taking ivermectin for a parasite or for COVID. It doesn't all of a sudden become unsafe <laughs> when you start taking it for COVID rather than lice. Your body doesn't say, oh, I thought you were taking it for lice. Now that I know it's COVID, I'm going to become unsafe. That's not <laughs> how it works, okay? The FDA has determined the drug is safe. And therefore, doctors are free to prescribe that drug and, for any indication. And the reason Dr. Flousey, I call him Flouchy, I give him so many different <laughs> names. I have been after this guy since the AIDS epidemic in the 80s. And I was here living. I watched him at then. I knew he was always re representing Big Pharma. And he's not a doctor in my mind. He's a public relations guy. And uh, he is against this, of course, because it's not a moneymaker, which goes back in many ways to the 1950s with vitamins. People don't realize the vitamins they buy today and anywhere they want were once outlawed by the FDA as dangerous and ineffective. They were putting people in prison for selling vitamins uh, in the 1950s. And you would think a libertarian would understand that. And yet the liberals today, so to speak, to make this very political, are now becoming draconian in what you are permitted to use for your body. We've gone a long way from our bodies ourselves 
the women's movement of the 60s to it's our body and we own it. We'll tell you what to use in your body. It's crazy, Dr. Victory. I, I agree with you. And the hit job on ivermectin uh, is multifaceted, but it comes down to the common denominator is, in fact, money. Number one, money. Um, in order to get the vaccines out, and let's be very clear, um, I, I happen to be pro-vaccine in general, but this is all about money. Mm -hmm. When you're talking about rolling out these vaccines in these numbers as quickly as they did, uh, the pharmaceutical companies stand to make billions and billions of dollars on these vaccines. None of them went through the FDA approval process. They all, ah. as you'll recall, were rolled out under the emergency use authorization. Uh -huh. In order to get an EUA, a drug company has to submit two things. Number one, that they have reason to believe based on their preliminary studies that the vaccine will be effective. And number two, they have to say there are no alternative therapies. There are no other treatments. So it was absolutely critical to all of them, Pfizer, Merck, Moderna, to say there are no other drugs or treatments for this. Hydroxychloroquine, uh-uh, doesn't work. Ivermectin, mm-mm, doesn't work. We had to say that those were, that those drugs didn't work because otherwise, they would never have gotten the EUA that they needed to roll those vaccines out. So that's number one. They couldn't have any any competition in terms of therapies. And number two, uh, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine have both been available in generic form for decades now. I mean, they've been off patent for a long time. No one stands to make any money on them. So instead, they roll out remdesivir at $3,100 per infusion, and now malnupiravir, Merck's new wonder drug that they want to, to roll out, uh, because they stand again to make a tremendous amount of money on these. Now, I'm all for uh, innovation in health, in medicine and healthcare. I'm a scientist at heart. But it really begs the question, in the middle of a pandemic, when we are this resource-strapped, why would you be looking so hard for a brand new drug that has been minimally tested? In the case of remdesivir, it has failed miserably, it has had absolutely zero impact on mortality, and it's only been associated with increased length of hospital stay, uh, and it's it's causing significant um, amounts of kidney uh, disease or kidney failure kidney damage in patients taking it. So remdesivir has been a, it really kind of a flop, and I suspect malnupiravir is of a class of drugs called nucleoside analogs. It, uh, those drugs insert a copying or a coding error into the virus. They trick the virus into including an error that keeps it from being able to replicate. But the, that class of drugs has been associated with a concerning incidence of birth defects uh, and cancers. So I'm why sure. take That's immediately drugs. what came to my mind. You're messing with, with the blueprint mechanism of the body. And, and the yeah. body knows what it's doing in protecting us. I want to ask you about Re Regeneron, monoclonal antibodies. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's used to a great extent today for COVID. What, what do you think of Regeneron? Well, I think monoclonal antibodies, I think, are remarkable. We've used um, the idea of it, it's really a uh, an offshoot of the concept of convalescent plasma. We the idea that you take plasma, which is the part of the blood that contains antibodies from somebody who has already had and recovered from the illness and mm. you give it to someone who's actively ill. So they are, in effect, borrowing, if you will, antibodies. They're borrowing a pre 
a, a ready army uh, and saying, you know, just inject me with your army and I won't, you know, rather than me having to make antibodies myself. We've been doing that since the beginning of the 1900s. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been used for many, many illnesses. Monoclonal antibodies simply take it to the laboratory rather than me having to draw blood from somebody who's convol- who's already convalesced, who already had the illness. They just manufacture the antibodies in a laboratory. That's what monoclonal antibodies are. So it's a laboratory-produced antibody. Again, you're giving that sick person an army that's already been, you know, prepared and, and is ready to fight so off you, the. You have no fears or reluctances with regard to Regeneron, is what I'm hearing, Doctor Victory. Correct? I, I really, I really don't. It's, it's, um, it, they've been underutilized during this pandemic. Unfortunately, they haven't been that. These, we have plenty of supply. It's uh. getting it to people. It has to be given intravenously. Okay, so uh, unlike some of these other things, you know, you have to be doesn't mean you necessarily have to be in the hospital. Uh, you could do it, at, for example, in an infusion center um, where, you know, but you need somebody to start an IV and give it to you and, and then watch for. And ivermectin, um, you can take yourself in a capsule form and you don't need the, the medical establishment to take it. It's very much like I'm surprised they have an outlawed vitamin C uh, drip. They'll say that that yeah. shouldn't be used next because they don't control it. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. We are speaking with the great Dr. Kelly Victory, MD, and she advises you to go to earlycovidcare.org. If you're missing some of this or want to follow it or pick up much more than we can do in this podcast, earlycovidcare.org. Dr. Victory, while I'm having you on, on, I'm lucky to have you on Skype right now, I received an email from a doctor friend who didn't want to go on the air. She's treated hundreds of patients. She's very much like you. She's a wonderful female physician. I guess I shouldn't say female physician, but she's a female physician. She's a great doctor. And she went to um, the American Association of Physicians and Surgeons meetings recently, and she Mm -hmm. heard Dr. McCulloch and Urso talk. And she said a surprise guest was Li Meng Cheng, former Wuhan scientist and physician, who escaped from China in 2020 and confirmed that the virus we are fighting is man-made biowarfare v- virus uh, that escaped. We can talk about that at another time. And Fauci's funding that laboratory work, which unto itself is a scandal. Mm-hmm. But she said in her email that the early protocol worked very well, but with the onset of the Delta variant, COVID cases have become more difficult to treat. They've broken through previous protocols, and FLCC changed its recommendations three times between August 1st and September 1st, and she included the FLCC and McCullough articles uh, for me to look at. And I wonder if you want to talk about the Delta variant, and has it changed your protocol at all? Yeah, well, in general, first of all, all viruses mutate. Coronaviruses are particularly adept at it. They do it relatively quickly. Uh, the Delta variant, in my experience, is exactly what we would have expected for a viral mutation, meaning it is more contagious, uh, but less lethal. Okay. Um, in my experience, it's been, you know, far less lethal. People have had fewer significant respiratory uh, side effects, more, they've had more, uh, something akin to a bad cold, more uh, upper respiratory symptoms, nasal congestion, headache, fever, those things, mm-hmm. and have had less respiratory issues. That's, I know that there are people 
colleagues of mine who have seen more people end up getting hospitalized or have severe illness with Delta. And that is part of the reason, as I, I mentioned earlier, that we have increased the dosing on the ivermectin, uh, where initially we we're using, you know, 0.2 milligrams per kilo um, of body weight. Now we're using something closer to 0.4. We've doubled oh. our recommendations and having better uh, better results with that. I've been very lucky that I've been able to keep my patients at the lower doses um, of, of ivermectin uh, and have seen great results. So I think a, a couple of things. Number one, I agree with her, and we, I'm happy to talk about it at another time, that this is clearly was a lab-manipulated virus. This is mm. not something that occurred in nature. Um, and it, interestingly, I believed early on, meaning in the first days, that it might well have come from the wet market only because I've made multiple trips to China and have spent a lot of time in those wet markets, which are oh. uh, quite disgusting, frankly, in terms of the conditions in which animals are kept. Oh, horrible. Uh, that said, I knew very, very early on by February of last year that uh, I was wrong, that this clearly was lab manipulated. All you had to do was understand the, uh, the genetic sequencing of this virus mm. and the way it looks under a microscope. Uh, the analogy I make to people is um, when you look at this under the microscope, it's very clear that there are pieces of that virus that were cut and pasted from, mm. from other viruses. It's as if somebody sends you a Word document and they forget to, to make sure that all the fonts are the same, you know, and then you're reading along in Times New Roman and all of a sudden there's a bit of Calibri pasted in or the font size is different or the color of the, of the font. It, it's like that. You can tell very clearly they cut and pasted something in to that document. There, it looks the same with the virus under a was, microscope. Was there a piece of the HIV virus cut and pasted? Absolutely. In? Yes. Clearly. Yes. yes. There's, there, there are components of that came from the, the human uh, immunodeficiency virus. There are pieces that simply do not occur in nature uh, in the way this virus, in the genomic sequencing of this virus. I'm not a virologist, but I, I have enough education and background to be able to read the studies and to read um, this. And it was very clear this was lab manipulated. I noticed that a lot of the doctors are now using azithromycin, which has some antiviral effects. Do you include that in your protocol? Yes, and that, you know, zithromycin, or what people call ZPAC, or Zithromax, is an antibiotic. And again, it's one of those many drugs, so many, that although it's primarily an antibiotic against bacteria, it has antiviral and anti-inflammatory um, components to it as well. And so, yes, that is part of the, the overall treatment is, is azithromycin. Well, there's so much more we're going to talk about, and it's... Um earlycovidcare.org where we can get all the information that we need and we should probably do a whole other podcast but before you go Dr. Victory I want to re return back to ivermectin uh, would you still recommend that ivermectin be used and in what dose per kilogram again if any doctors would, are listening yeah I would absolutely recommend that it be used obviously there are some caveats you can't use it in people who are on certain other medications primarily a certain blood thinner called warfarin. Oh. Um, you know, we, there are so, so you need to know, you know make sure you know that. You can't use ivermectin if you're on blood thinners? Uh, on a specific blood thinner. Oh, warfarin. Oh, I know warfarin. it was developed yes. to kill rats. Okay. I remember yes. I was so, studying so pharmacology in the 1960s, and I heard that story that it was originally meant to kill rats and blah, 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 and all of that. Uh, so what but if yeah, you're taking... 
What if you're taking other type of blood thinners, including fish oils, which is a blood thinner? No, yeah, there, there's not there's not an overall cross reactivity just with blood okay. thinners as a class. It's that particular it increases it potentiates ah. uh, warfarin, and therefore you would could end up with a significant. So it's like grapefruit pro- juice with, yes. with Viagra or something. It, it, like yes, that. it's a exactly it's That's so, a bad so it's joke. a potentiator. <laughs> it's a potentiator. Uh, <laughs> you heard that is, from a friend, I know. <laughs> <laughs> right, we all hear it from a friend. We don't know anyone has ever used Viagra. It's always someone else's friend. <laughs> it's a funny drug. Uh, Dr. Kelly Victory, MD, president of Victory Health Steamboat Springs, Colorado, beautiful place. Her website is earlycovidcare.org. There is just so much more that we could talk about, but I've taken up enough of your valuable time. You should go save people. Uh, I want to just again go back to the new drug, monoparavir, that Merck is suddenly pushing, came out. Oh wow, it's the new miracle drug. Is it similar in any way to ivermectin? Well, it's similar only. Uh, Malnupiravir is similar uh, only, number one, in that it is being developed by Merck, which is also uh, ivermectin was the developer of Merck, and that, interestingly, it was originally developed uh, to treat a, a horse virus, in this case, equine uh, encephalitis, um, it, it is otherwise a different class of drug. As I said, monopiravir is a nucleoside analog. The way it works is by inserting a copying error uh, into the virus so that when the, the virus goes to replicate, it has an error in there that, that makes it incapable but of replicating. But as replic- you said earlier, that very mechanism can, can be associated with negative side effects, including increases in cancer. Cancer and birth defects. And, and again, um, you know, I, I, I'm a proponent of innovation in healthcare, and we certainly should always be working yes. to develop new drugs. But I don't think when we have already at hand drugs that have decades and decades of experience and safety data behind them, decades are, are now available in generic form mm. worldwide readily available, inexpensive. I'm just not sure why, other than being driven by money, why you would work on that. We have lots of things we could be working on um, right now, and I don't see that this particular drug, uh, I've had other of my colleagues refer to it not as malnupiravir, but as moneypiravir, uh, because I think that that's uh, really what it is. Well, that's why they outlawed vitamins in the 1950s. Everyone knew they were driving you into using drugs, AMA-approved drugs. Then along came the 60s, freedom of this, freedom of that. Uh, you know, we all became libertarian as a result of it. You know, if it feels good, do it. But it also had some very good effects, which is giving us the freedom to choose what we put into our body. And now we're reaching a point where the government wants to lock down the use of, quote, unapproved drugs, like what we are speaking about, ivermectin, and use only those that they funnel at us that cost a fortune. And they also may have some side effects that are, are, are negative. Again, earlycovidcare.org, Dr. Kelly Victory. Well, any, and I would be, any final, any final statements for the hundreds of thousands of people who are listening to this podcast? Yeah, again, I, I would be remiss if I put on my public health hat and say, in addition to the fact that we have been uh, witness to what I consider therapeutic nihilism for the duration of this pandemic and the idea that uh, people have been diagnosed and then sent home and told to only come back if they get significantly ill. Um, there are things about this virus that we have known from the very beginning 
um, that haven't been promoted by anybody but a handful of us. For example, the relationship between vitamin D and, and COVID. The idea that if you can simply get your vitamin D levels up, you decrease your risk of contracting COVID or being hospitalized by 50%. But well, I, the- vitamin D is, it acts like a hormone. I, I've been interested in it for years. My doctorate's in nutrition from many years ago, and I've always been leery about vitamin D prior to COVID, by the way, I've changed since COVID, uh, because it, it acts as a hormone. And I'm concerned but, about lo- overdosing on vitamin D, for example. Well, you you can overdose on vitamin D primarily because it is fat-soluble, unlike vitamin C. So vitamins K, A, D, and E are fat-soluble, so you can theoretically overdose on them. Unfortunately, the uh, it is absolutely prolific. Vitamin D deficiency is prolific in this in this country, upwards of 80% of blacks, 50% of Hispanics, and more than 30% of Caucasians are vitamin D deficient in the United States. But and why? we know that... Why is, well, it? Primary, is it because we've been told to avoid the sun? You know, I've been thinking, yes. don't go near the sun because you'll get skin cancer. Now all of a sudden we're vitamin D deficient. You are you are exactly right. And, and we've done a good job in driving down incidents of skin cancers. Uh, for example, women are hard pressed to find any facial product, cosmetic, anything else uh. that doesn't include SPF of 15 or 20, whether you want it or not. All of our lotions, skin creams, uh. you know, things like that. And we simply don't spend as much time outdoors as they did. Okay. You know, 60, 70, 80 years ago. Um, we're not, so we're not outdoors. Now, vitamin we, D is, co- is called cold cal- calciferol, as you know. Cold calciferol. Yes. So what is it that vitamin D does that is beneficial with regard to COVID-19? Do we know? I, I don't think I, I don't think that scientists know other than we we do know that there's a absolutely profound connection between mm. vitamin D levels below 60 nanograms per milliliter and high, increased incidence of COVID, not only uh, infection, but of, of severe illness and hospitalization. So something that simple, supplementing vitamin D. And if you're worried that you don't want to overdose, get your vitamin D level checked. It's a very simple blood test. We've known that other than age, advanced age, age over 75, the single greatest risk factor for a lousy outcome with COVID is obesity. Yes. Yet we haven't heard Dr. Fauci or Walensky no. or any of oh, the other no, that's people outrageous. that I know, and so many it people is going, outrageous. So many people going into the hospitals are severely obese, don't take care of themselves, they eat garbage, they live on sugar and all the crap that they, they sell on these television shows. Uh, and they don't tell them about anything to do with diet and health. Nothing. Just take a drug and listen to Dr. Fauci. But again, vitamin D, just before we go, what would you say would be a good preventive uh, dosage for people to take to prevent COVID and other infections on a daily basis? A thousand, five thousand? The, the, the daily, the daily suggestion I have for daily supplements, and this doesn't just impact COVID. This is for overall immune health. We're going headlong into regular old cold and flu season. So you'll be in better position to fight off every virus that's out there and the host of pathogens that we face every day. I tell people vitamin D, somewhere between 3,000 and 5,000 international units. I use vitamin D, 3,000 to 5,000, zinc, 25 to 50 milligrams a day, vitamin C, a gram a day, 
and then adequate sleep, regular exercise, stress mitigation, those things go so far to actually enhancing your immune system's ability to fight this off. There are lots of other things that we could add to that, but vitamin D, zinc, vitamin C, I think are your top ones. Uh, and truly, it will decrease your risk of getting all kinds of, uh, of viruses during this cold and flu season. I was lucky enough to have known Dr. Pauling while he was still alive. I grew mm-hmm. up with the alternative medical movement. I knew Dr. Cathcart, if the name rings a bell, the vitamin C. Sure. Sure. Did you know Bob at all? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I I don't didn't know him personally. I just know well, he was the bowel tolerance guru of vitamin C, and he used to lecture mm-hmm. me constantly. I, I said, "What does that mean, Bob?" He says, "Well, take it until you get bowel intolerance, and then back it off ten percent." I said, "How right. do we know we get bowel intolerance?" He says, "You'll know it because it's <laughs> gas." <laughs> I said, "Oh, okay." And you know, the miracle of the vitamin C is I've told it to people who were skeptical. And they say, oh, I've taken vitamin C and it doesn't work. I said, you're not taking it in the right form. Most of it's inert. It's junk sold in the wrong store. If you take real crystal C, the good stuff, or, you know, IVC, and you get it up to the right level, the bowel tolerance level, you'll know right away. You'll be better in a day. And that's this was during the flu season, long before COVID. Right. Vitamin C was already, you know, performing miracles for people. And I'm hearing, again, IVC is very effective. Have you had experience with that? Absolutely. And many, many of us have been using that in patients who end up in the hospital um, for, for certain. We know that these are the things that enhance your immune system's ability to fight off this virus and others. Yet what's happened, this pandemic response, what will go down in history, in my mind, is the greatest debacle in public health. We employed lockdowns, which have done nothing other than drive up the incidence of disease. We told people to stay indoors, sit on the sofa, (laughs) binge watch Netflix, and eat Pringles. Uh, The worst possible thing you can do for your overall immune health, close down fitness centers and community swimming pools, close down public parks, told people not to get together with friends and family or go to church or synagogue or celebrate with your loved ones. That is an absolute recipe for public health disaster and psychological disaster, which we are seeing across the country. People are now out of their minds. You see idiots driving around with masks on in their own car. I live here in in north of San Francisco. You see these frightened people driving with masks on alone in their car. They can't breathe. They're breathing in their own carbon dioxide. Yeah. Yes. And they're rebreathing every pathogen. Their lungs tried hard to exhale. (laughs) So uh, it is it is really a recipe for disaster. And I will tell you that the mandate of public health is to consider the impact of any of these mitigation schemes on the entire public, not just on one individual, not just on one disease. And when I say public health, I mean not just physical health. It's economic health, social health, psychological health. And this pandemic response has absolutely turned a blind eye to that. They have had mm. this singular focus on, you know, decrease cases of COVID. Well, unfortunately, that is not the mandate of public health. They have failed at this, and it's time for us to take a different approach because this is unsustainable. Okay, Dr. Kelly Victory, I nominate you to be the head of the CDC and the NIH (laughs) under the next administration. It'll be a a healthier nation. You don't visit San Francisco too often, do you? I do. I get up to San Francisco not infrequently, actually. I love San Francisco. Would you please... Give me the opportunity to meet with you when you're out here. I would be delighted. I would love to do that. 
I would take you to some restaurant where we won't get sick. And <laughs> Dr. Kelly Victory, you're, you have so much information. You're so enthusiastic. Just speaking with you is healing. I want to thank you very much for being with us on the Michael Savage podcast. Again, those listening, please go to earlycovidcare.org and learn much more than we have been able to cover today on this podcast. Dr. Victory, keep up the inf- incredible work you're doing. And wow, do I admire you. Thank you for being who you are. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the invitation. Anytime. Bye now. Home of Borders. Language. Culture. The Savage Nation. Well, welcome back uh, to the Savage Nation podcast. We had a long discussion today and a lot for you to think about. We talked not only about ivermectin, but other nutraceuticals, other vitamins, other medications that are being used in the treatment and prevention of COVID-19. I am not giving you medical advice. I'm not even suggesting the use of any treatment, but we're trying to cut through the big pharmaceutical smoke screen that is being put out by the NIH and Dr. Fauci and open your eyes to other avenues, other studies and treatments that are being used by really top medical professionals. We'll have more stories and more information on a future podcast, perhaps another interview with another medical professional on this subject. In the interim, you can do your own research by going to earlycovidcare.org or to the Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance. These are great doctors at COVID19CriticalCare.com, COVID19CriticalCare.com. But today, just to summarize, we've talked about ivermectin, how long it's been around, how it works on COVID, how it's been effective, some of the side effects, some of the studies that have been used, why there's a reluctance in the media to accept ivermectin, And we've even talked about the new oral COVID treatment that was announced by Merck and what it is, how it works, how much it costs, and things of that nature. That is the monoperavir drug. Pfizer Merck launched new trials of oral COVID-19 drugs. And that is the new one I talked about today, the monoperavir. If you want to know more about that one, it's also discussed uh, today by uh, myself and Dr. Kelly Victory. Again, if you want to know more about this, go to earlycovidcare.org or covid19criticalcare.com and make up your own decision in discussions with your own primary care physician. This is Michael Savage. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've learned something. And if you have, will you do me a favor and do them a favor? Not just say that was great. I need you to share my podcast with other people who may be interested who never heard of me. Thanks for listening. And God bless America. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed and learned something from it. And I want to remind you of something that I think is important for you to know. We have over 280 Savage Nation podcast episodes available to you absolutely free. I'll say that again. You can go back into this vast library of over 280 episodes and listen to any one of them or several of them at your leisure so you never have to be without the Savage Nation. Thank you very much for listening.